You're listening to the Screeners Podcast Network. From the big screen to the small screen and everything in between, this is the Screeners Podcast, where all media is appreciated, but none is safe. Hello and welcome back to the Screeners Podcast. My name is Daniel. This is Chad. And I'm April. And we are back with a double feature this evening. We're so excited to dive into our reviews of Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and Rocket Man. But before we do that, as always, we want to tell you to check us out on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at ScreenersCast. You can follow us on Facebook by searching the Screeners Podcast. And uh, you can even shoot us an email, ScreenersCast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you guys. And we would really love, we would appreciate so much if you guys could rate us on wherever you're wherever you're downloading us. If you'd subscribe, leave us a review because it really helps other people discover the show and uh, help us, helps people join in with what we're doing here. So that would be amazing if you could do that. Now, before we dive into our double feature... Uh, I wanted a bit of a bit of follow up. Our last episode was a bonus review of Aladdin. Uh, April and I reviewed that film. Um, but leading up to that review, we had talked a few different times about low expectations that we had for Aladdin. And so since it was only April and I on that actual review, I just kind of wanted to hear Chad. I know that you saw Aladdin. You just weren't able to make it to the review. I just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts. What did you think of Aladdin? Just real briefly, give us your kind of opinion. And, yeah. I, and did you listen to our review? I did. What I thought I would do is instead of reviewing Aladdin, I'd like to review you guys oh, doing the podcast. <laughs> you guys liked it a lot more than I did. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Even April? April um, liked it less than I did. Yeah. I, it, I was so kind of hard on it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I guess. But I, yes, that's true. I think overall, it's it, it was very difficult to actively dislike it because yeah. it tells the same story beats to a story mm-hmm. that I love and that I'm nostalgic about for sure. I don't think that Will Smith was terrible as the genie. I just didn't. It just feels superfluous. I don't understand why this film exists because sure. it's too similar to the original to really justify its purpose. And at the same time, it has these trappings of sort of modernizing or wanting to modernize. And you guys talked about it very well, the speechless song or whatever that song is at the end mm-hmm. it just feels like it's in a different movie you know the one spectacle or the one moment i should say that had enough spectacle that i thought warranted it and i felt like it was more was prince ali yeah. i love that scene mm-hmm. when yeah. they were coming in and you had the elephants and you had the confetti and you had this big spectacle i felt like that was the only time where it approached the joy that i had had earlier and that i i felt like more of that was needed in the film uh, and really the only way to do that would was to really amp everything up to 11 and, and kind of chart its own path and i just didn't think that it did so i didn't hate it by any stretch of the imagination um, my son loved it he immediately wanted to and that's the thing the best thing about Aladdin was seeing my seven-year-old experience Aladdin that way and he as soon as we got in the car he wanted to start listening to the soundtrack mm-hmm. he loves the music my wife who is a huge Aladdin fan she liked it a lot more than I did so I, I think overall it's fine it's just it's just fine it's mm. just one of those things where I don't understand the, the hatred for it but I also I can totally get on board with people who just didn't enjoy it so yeah. I thought you guys were pretty, pretty spot on, except, uh, Daniel, you were probably a little more positive <laughs> than I was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was fine. Like it's like I, I said on the review, none of these remakes have been good or sorry. None of them have been great. They've mostly just been fine. And this was another fine entry. I di- definitely didn't love it, 
but you know i enjoyed it enough that i i've, I've listened to the soundtrack a couple times actually because uh, yeah. I, I enjoy it but some family and friends that told me that how where they agree with a lot of what i say in other shows they disagreed with me on aladdin because they loved it hmm there you go. So, yeah. And I, I've seen yeah. a lot of people that just love it. So Yeah, and hashtag spoiler alert, Chris Farrell, our co-host on The Screeners, is one of those that absolutely loves it. <laughs> That's not surprising. I think, I think he said he adored it. He was the one who was it. looking forward to it more than any of us. He was really, really looking forward to that one. Yeah, so. and then he was MIA. Couldn't, couldn't express right. the love. Come on, Chris. Yeah. Calling you out. Challenge dropped, Chris. Come defend your love for this film. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, well, uh, that was just a kind of mini review there of Aladdin. And if you haven't listened to it yet, you can go check out our bonus review from last week. So let's dive into the first of our double feature with Godzilla, King of the Monsters. What we are witnessing here is the return of Titans. How many of these things are there? 17 and counting. That's messed up. <laughs> Mothra, Rodan, Ghidorah. Oh my. They're moving like a pack. They're hunting. They all respond directly to an alpha. Okay. <laughs> I had a hard time not laughing. And that because they take it so seriously. Okay, we're gonna review. <laughs> Spoilers. God- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're about to review Godzilla, King of the Monsters. IMDb has three different synopsises, so I'm gonna read the shorter one. The cryptozoological agency Monarch faces off against a battery of god-sized monsters, including the mighty Godzilla who collides with Mothra, Rodan, and his ultimate nemesis, the three-headed King Ghidorah. Dun dun dun. Mm. So let's just jump right in and let's get a kind of a basis of what you thought of the movie, um, non-spoiler. And if you saw um, Godzilla and Kong Skull Island and, you know, what your history is with these movies. So, Chad, why don't we start with you? The journey that I have taken uh, that has been documented on this podcast for the generations of my family that follow after I'm long gone and they are exploring the discovery of how I began to reject trailers and and moved over to the trailer-free life, (laughs) really started with the 2014 Godzilla, which I think that trailer is a work of art. I think it's one of the best trailers I've ever seen, but it showed a lot of striking imagery that when it hit me in the theater, it was lessened, the impact was lessened. Hmm. That said, 2014 Godzilla, Gareth Edwards, a lot of people... I think retroactively have started to dislike that one even more through the lens of Skull Island and now this one. When when you revisit that film, I remember liking it, not loving it when it came out, but still thinking that there were moments that were really thrilling and that there were some expertly constructed sequences in that movie. Overall, I was a fan. Now, Skull Island is ridiculous. My son loves it now there are some things in it that we make him skip over but he loves the kind of this universe and so he has been non-stop begging to see this movie because he saw a trailer somewhere <laughs> and we were like you're too young it's going to be too scary it's too violent etc cetera, etc cetera, too much language whatever 
But, I mean, he absolutely, every single day, was begging to see it. So we decided to take him. And even he was bored with this movie. Mm. (laughs) So it's not just that this movie is quite possibly... It's in the top ten worst scripts ever written. Mm. It takes everything so seriously while at the same time executing in a way that is campy mm-hmm. that it just feels it, it feels weird it puts you in a tonal place that is hard to understand what you're supposed to feel now there are moments in this film that look visually stunning and when i say moments i literally mean just moments single shots that are breathtaking or a couple of sequences that are short but visually interesting but even the action in this movie which one of the criticisms against the original Godzilla was it needed more Godzilla and it needed more action so they amp up a lot of the of the monster action in this as you would expect in a film called King of the Monsters but it's almost always at night or in the middle of a tornado or some electrical storm or some kind of dingy looking Mm. ash falling from the sky and it's cut in such a way that very few times are you or at least I was able to enjoy it just on a visceral action level because Mm. it was convoluted the way that it was cut and you'd have quick cuts into these weird close-ups of these creatures and you just never really had any context for me anyway enough so that I was at least entertained on that level Mm. so then when you couple that which is kind of the purpose of this entire movie is just hey Godzilla fighting monsters with some cool monsters by the way when you take away the excitement of the action and then you're left with the characters the characters this cast is great it's absolutely great there are some phenomenal actors in here and i feel terrible for all of them because what they were given to to read and say and do is embarrassing it feels like a b movie with an a level budget and an a level cast mm. but not in a fun way i had a hard time finding any fun in this film the comedy for me didn't land and the action was boring and it's way too long and I just don't like it. I, I think I hate it, as a matter of fact. I don't think I'll ever watch this again. And I'm, I'm circling back to my son when it was over. Normally, at the end of movies that we go to when we leave, we'll have a little, what did you think, buddy? What was your favorite part? And all this stuff. And I couldn't get him to mention anything for this one other than I would say, well, did you like it? And he literally went, yeah, just like that. And he's seven. <laughs> he's seven. So, you know, maybe this works for some people on some level and I don't disparage them. But for me, this is a hard swing and a miss. Mm -hmm. I just I at at every level, I found no joy, no entertainment, no excitement other than whoever the director of photography is had some moments of really great compositions. That was that composition stuff that was beautiful. But that's not enough for a two hour and 15 minute movie or whatever the heck this thing was. So thumbs down for me. Mm. Yep. So clearly two thumbs up for Chad. So, <laughs> yeah. Daniel, are you as poopy pants on it as Chad? Hey. <laughs> I, have, I have a three-year-old, so that's the language I use. So. Um, uh, well, let me start with my opinions on the, the previous entries. Uh, 2014 Godzilla, I, I agree very much with a lot of what Chad said. Trailer was just so stunning and really set up the film for failure in a lot of ways uh, because it was just such a, a phenomenal trailer. Uh, but the movie wasn't a failure itself. Um, I think the movie was was good. Let's 
mostly enjoyable. I actually just rewatched it a couple weeks ago in preparation, and it's it's good. I wouldn't say great. It's fine. There's a lot of moments. It you can really feel the. It's it's crafted with a lot of strong artistry. You can really feel that. It's not it's not made like other blockbusters. Um, they approach cinematography. You know, a lot of monster movies and disaster movies are, are often visually bleak and drab and gray and dark. And um, and the 2014 Godzilla isn't that way. And so so I appreciated that that in a lot of ways. Even though overall story's kind of weak and doesn't doesn't really hold my attention except for when there's a lot of action. So it's okay. And a lot of the same can be said for Godzilla King of Monsters. Oh, Kong Skull Island. I skipped over that. I actually freaking love Kong Skull Island. I think <laughs> that is a great movie. Strongly disagree with uh, with Chad's assessment on that Did movie. Did you say great Oh, yeah. Movie? Oh, I love that movie. I think Do that you movie know what is... those words mean to when you put them together? <laughs> great movie. I think that movie is phenomenal. I think it's uh, uh, so well, fun. Well, my seven-year-old would agree with you, Daniel. <laughs> he loves it. Cole's got great taste. It's fun and funny, and it knows exactly what it is, and it looks great, and it's a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, I love that movie. I think it's phenomenal. Now, a lot of the same cannot be said about Godzilla King of Monsters uh, that I just said about Kong Skull Island. The positives. There are... There are a few shots here, quite a few shots here that are really interesting and they set up some really intriguing things. You know, there's a shot that's been used all throughout the trailer, so it's not a spoiler, of uh, what's his name? What's the monster's name? King Ghidera? Um, yeah. on top of on top of a volcano or something and there's like this cross in the foreground it's really it's a striking image it's a really good image and so there are a few of those that that are really interesting that's about where the positives stop uh i am with chad in a lot of ways i'm not sure i feel quite as strongly i wouldn't say i hate this movie but i do agree with exactly what he said i will never watch this movie again not even in preparation for the inevitable sequel um because there's just nothing here uh, now, w- when we're going into a movie called Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and when where Godzilla and a dozen other monsters are going to fight and wreak havoc on the world, I don't expect a highly intellectual story or, or compelling human drama or anything like that. But if there are going to be long stretches in this over two-hour movie uh, where there are no crazy monster fights... I need something else to capture my attention. And to be honest, I was really bored throughout almost this entire movie. Hmm. It is just a boring film. And, and when there are so many gigantic monsters destroying the world, I'm, I don't understand how I could possibly be bored. But I was. Um, the, the, the human drama could just never match the insanity of those brief fights that we would get. Exactly like Chad said, there are fantastic actors in this movie. Kyle Chandler, Vera Farmiga... You know, Millie Bobby Brown in her first film. These are all great actors. But the story was just so lame. The tone was all over the place. It wasn't funny. It wasn't actually serious enough to, to, to take seriously, to view as a drama. So it was just, there was just nothing there. There were moments of fun with the monsters fighting each other. But it all just took itself so seriously that it, it just, it, it wasn't any fun to watch. This movie has no sense of fun. And that's the biggest thing. That's what I love about Kong Skull Island, is I did have a lot of fun with that film. It knows exactly what it's trying to do. And this one just doesn't. And so I agree that um, all the action, so much of the action seems to be happening in really dark situations, dark places, mm-hmm. like Chad said. And, I, and if I'm being honest, it felt like a way to hide poor visual effects. Now, overall, the, the, the visual effects are, are good in this film. They're fine. But it's so hidden in dark situations that, you know, there's not much to rave about um, other than those few sparse shots that the cinematographer got. So, 
there's just really not much here. Super boring, super bland. I, I kept checking my clock. I was like, how much longer is left in this movie? Because there was just nothing keeping my attention for the, for over two hours. So didn't work for me almost at all. I'll never watch it again. I'm not sure I would say I hate it. Like Chad said, he hates it. Uh, oh, man. there. I mean, there are lines of dialogue yeah. in there, Daniel, where it's laughable. Oh, I it's, agree. It's almost as if... They sat around and said, what's the dumbest thing this yeah. person could say or do in this scenario? <laughs> because that's how we're going to get to our humor. And then they did it, but unironically. This, I would say this movie, I, I'm, I, I hate a movie when it makes me mad or makes me feel like I, I you know, I, I wish I hadn't seen that movie. I didn't, I wasn't mad at this movie. I was just bored by it. So I wouldn't say I hate it, but I definitely dislike it a lot. And uh, yeah, never watch it again. So I'm curious what, you know, we already heard that April uh, thought it took itself too seriously. I'm curious to hear uh, hear if you're more negative than 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 me, if you're more positive than Chad. Where, where do you land on this? So I did not hate it. I'm probably a little more positive than the two of you hmm. because hmm. I actually kind of had fun watching it, but okay. I don't necessarily hmm. think it was because of intentional humor that they were mm. doing. There were parts, it kind of reminded me of Justice League, where it was so laughable that I actually enjoyed watching it because it was so <laughs> bad. So, and I can get in spoilers, but there were a couple times that I laughed out loud because, <laughs> because, of, okay, I'll tell you in a spoiler because, anyway, it was just ridiculous. So I actually thought the monsters were super awesome and cool, mm. and I enjoyed those moments enough that... It kind of drug me along. Yes, there were moments that were boring. Yes, the plot was stupid. Yes, the characters were super underdeveloped. But actually, I never saw Kong Skull Island. Oh, and, wow. And I really thought that I saw Godzilla, but I don't have any memory of it. Like, there's moments that I... <laughs> there's parts in the trailer that I feel like I've seen, but I really don't remember seeing it. So I don't think I've seen Godzilla either. So much to the point that when this scene... When the movie opened... I thought that it was a continuation of a previous story because there was hardly any information given on the main characters. Uh, I don't know if y'all felt that way. Because anyway, I was watching it and I thought that clearly I was just missing something because I didn't see the previous movie. Hmm. But so did you see? So you haven't seen Skull Island either? No, I hadn't seen either of them. It's definitely better than this. I'll give that to Daniel for sure. You should check it out. It is. It is better than this. It's been on my list to see. I just have not seen it. Um but yeah, so there were there were moments in this movie that I thought were cool. I don't know if it's a spoiler to say where the big final battle happens. Is that a spoiler? If I say I city? don't think it, there's yeah. any point I don't, in talking I don't think about you spoilers. Can spoil there are lots movie. of monsters. That monsters fight each, fight each other. Yeah, who cares? Okay, I thought it was cool that they ended that they had their kind of big final moment in Boston uh, instead of you know like New York or Los mm. Angeles or your typical places. Some of the monsters I thought were super cool, like I said. But there were several things about this movie that reminded me of other arts, art forms. Like one of the main characters reminded me of Thanos and then a character from Game of Thrones. And then there was like a whole bunch of talk of radiation throughout the whole thing. And I kept thinking about Chernobyl. And there was like all these other things that I was like, I would rather be watching those things than this. So, yeah, but it's it's one of those things where I feel like. I, like, I, I almost feel like I shouldn't be reviewing it for the characters and the plot because no one goes to a monster movie for those things. But if you're going to give us so much character and story and not enough monsters, then mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, there should have definitely been more. And I hadn't even put together that 
all the fight scenes were pretty much in the dark until you guys said it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would have loved it a lot more if they focused on the individual monsters that were showing up. Because some of those things were super cool, awesome looking that we only saw on screen for like five seconds. Yeah. Eh, that was kind of my, my gist. So kind of on board yeah. with you guys. But I think I may have had a little more fun with it. I agree that the creature design was very cool, but the, I mean, they set a world record for the number of times that another monster was about to kill a character that we cared about, and then Godzilla would come in and shoot him <laughs> at the last minute. That's true. That happened at least three times. Yeah. And that that was my biggest problem is that, I, I listen, I'm not, I'm not, if Chris were here, he'd go into his British pretentious voice and be like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that guy on this film. I, I will I want to go to this movie and just see some monsters just killing some monsters in a cool way. That's my biggest complaint and probably the reason that I say I move over into the I hate this movie land is because I actually don't think that any of the action was thrilling. Maybe a couple of cool moments, Mm. but because it's so dark, dark, like literally dark, not thematically dark, because it's so dark and because their Gadara is in this cloud, like this electricity cloud of storm, whatever he's in and all all the action I think is edited poorly. I couldn't even enjoy that part of it. And so then that's all that I'm left with are, is this horrifically bad script. The, the people do. And again, I, I agree with you, Daniel. I don't expect some sort of taught script experience here from a plot standpoint, but within the world that they've set up, they betray their own character arcs. People do things that make no sense based on what they've established that person to be. And so they make dumb decisions that reverse who they were, but not for any kind of dramatic effect, just because the plot needs them to do it. But again, you guys, if you like it, then hey, all right, that's good. Like yeah. is a strong word. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't <laughs> go there. I was curious. It's it's interesting that uh, the April that you hadn't seen Kong Skull Island or especially the, the 2014 Godzilla because I was wondering... With this film, like like we've kind of all singled out, there are those those few shots that are really beautiful, really great shots, um, really well well framed and very interesting, um, and they have quite a lot of those in the 2014 Godzilla. And so, to me, part of the reason I like this one way less is because that same level of artistry that was on 2014 Godzilla felt it was still here. Mm-hmm. but just w- way less of it because it was all so dark. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was curious how that would land with somebody who hadn't seen the first one. I, I wondered if um, you would like this c- King of the Monsters more without having seen the other one. So it's interesting. And they yeah, also, maybe. Y- you mentioned uh, liking how they set set this, uh, set one of the big battles in Boston as opposed to one of the normal locations we we see. They actually did that in the 2014 Godzilla as well. It was set in, in Las Vegas, uh, one of the big battles. I forget where a couple of the other ones were, but um, obviously I live in Vegas, so that one sticks out. But yeah, it's, it's it just, I just wish it was more fun. I wish I could yeah. enjoy those monster fights, but there's just, there's just nothing there. I completely agree with what you said, April. All those monsters that kept popping up for sec- literally seconds, I was very interested in those. I was like, show me those. Come have them fight Godzilla. What are we doing here? And I didn't. we didn't see any of them. In fact, one of them kind of looked like King Kong. And I was like, wait a second. Is that Kong? And then <laughs> it clearly wasn't. So I was like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It was weird. I do think it's interesting that this... 
The 2014 Godzilla opened to about a $96 million opening weekend, and this one is about half of that. It's mm-hmm. around 50. Yeah. And so there's definitely a big drop there. And I think that specifically they have already moved into production and are releasing next summer Godzilla vs. Kong. Now, yep. I don't know if that's the actual title, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's probably a good thing that they did go ahead and move into production on that. Otherwise, the numbers may not justify it. Now, that that's a film that I would be interested in if they can go back to the tone of Skull Island. Yes. I thought that Skull Island was kind of the answer to the first Godzilla. People people accused the first got the first the 2014 Godzilla of being very self serious, and you know Gareth Edwards was an auteur, and he had, you know directed this this other small movie, and so they kind of criticized that you leveled that as a criticism against him and so then they went completely the other direction with kong skull island and i think that was a success for the most part so it's really confounding why they would then go backwards again Mm. to this kind of a film instead of keeping that because i don't think this film is is silly or campy i mean i i think it tries humor but when you watch kong skull island against this one they're not even in the same world tonally Mm. and it it seems to me that they would have kept going down that road so that when we bring these two characters together next summer you know you'd have a big celebration uh and an anticipation for that film which i don't know people are going to have after this one yeah other than the fact that it's King Kong and Godzilla, and so you got to go see it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm going to be there opening weekend for Godzilla versus freaking King Kong. Yeah. But I really hope the tone, exactly like you said, is, is Kong Skull Island had the, the exact tone that these ridiculous movies should have. And so mm-hmm. that's why I'm so surprised at the tone of King of the Monsters. It was just it was just boring. It was just dull. And I don't understand that with all the freaking monsters that are in this movie, how I was bored the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Well... Tell us what you would recommend to our audience, although I have a feeling I know. (laughs) Um, But do you think they should see it in theaters? Should they uh, stream it later or skip it? Chad? You know, my heart says skip it. But I I think if you have Netflix or Hulu and you already pay for that service and this comes comes out one month, it'd be fine to sit and watch it. Mm -hmm. It's it's fine. I don't. I think it's going to be a worse viewing experience at home because I saw this in IMAX and that didn't even that didn't help. So I don't think I'm not going to give it a hard pass, even though I I say I hate the movie. I'll say don't rent it. Just wait for it to come out on Netflix and then then you'll be fine. Yep. Daniel. It's so tough um, because even though I don't hate it and, and usually only say skip to the ones I hate, this is going to be totally different. At home, I mean, at least I had the benefit of seeing this on a big screen, seeing the big action, being able to see in those dark sequences. I know on my TV at home, if I watch this movie at home, I mean, I'm going to not be able to see most of this movie. Yeah. Just because I don't have a great setup. So I guess I would very, it would be a very low rung of saying um, stream it, like Chad said, stream it on a platform you already pay for, because I wouldn't pay for money for this movie. It's I'm never going to watch it again, and I don't think you will want to watch it again after seeing it. So... I'll say I'll say stream it, but don't be in a rush. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say stream it also. Get some friends over. Think of it as a really terrible movie that you can laugh at when it gets way too serious, and I think people will enjoy it. Sure. That's that's my take. Um, all right, do we want to do some quick spoilers, or is it even worth I, it? 
I mean, I don't have anything I, necessarily. I have anything. Okay, that can I, I do my highlight. one quick thorst thing that made me laugh though? Do it. I think yeah, y'all will appreciate let's do it. it. Okay, so this is like a semi spoiler, but not really. It's more of just an error. Okay, so there's this one part where they're on, I guess, their ship, and it's like halfway through the movie, maybe. And Kyle Chandler's character suddenly runs upstairs, is heading towards the helicopter, and he's like, "No, I gotta go find my daughter. I'm not losing her again." And it's like pouring down rain, and the guy's like, "Well, where are you gonna go? You don't know where she is." He's like, "I don't care. I'm going." And then it cuts to back downstairs, the bottom of the ship, and all of a sudden you see Kyle Chandler again saying, what you guys looking at? Or whatever it was. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but I laughed out loud. I thought it was so funny, and my husband and I were just cackling at it, and everyone I think around us was mad. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) This movie is filled with those kinds of things. Inconsistent (laughs) cuts and then saying out loud what they're about to do before they do it. Mm. Oh, it makes me so mad. I didn't even understand. Maybe I just was so bored that that I missed it. I, I didn't even understand what the issue was, m- why Millie Bobby Brown wasn't with, she didn't like her dad or her mom didn't want the contact. Like, I didn't even understand the whole family dynamics. Did, well, did he, I just miss something? Well, they kind of explained that he got drunk and, like, he became a drunk after San Francisco. So was San Francisco not in the other movies? Oh, yeah, it was. That was, it was Vegas and San Francisco. I, I couldn't remember the other city. Oh, okay. Because um, I guess their son died in San Francisco. And yeah. after that, he turned to alcoholism and then just couldn't cope. That was what I got from it. But okay, I was so very I was... confused because I felt like I was supposed to know more about that family. Yeah, they were not in the other film. Yeah, yeah, that that surprised me. I really thought that I was just missing it because I hadn't seen the other ones. But I was that's surprised. a good point. I hadn't yeah. thought about it in that in those terms. But yeah, I mean it it shows them in San Francisco as if it was footage from another film. Yeah, uh, and yeah, yeah it definitely I was wasn't. I was definitely riveted by the familial drama in this picture. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that annoys me about this, just to dive in a little a little bit deeper, we've barely talked about this movie because there's nothing to talk about. One thing that annoys me about this film and it annoyed me about the 2014 Godzilla is how the characters just seem to traverse the world. Like, they just so happen to be at all of the action um, all the time. In every situation, they're just there. We could be all over the globe, and all of a sudden, nope, luckily we hopped on this helicopter, and now we can be there, and now we're going to hop on another helicopter, and all of the military is going to listen to me and my opinions in every situation. Yeah, the guy in street clothes. Yes, exactly. And the, the exact same thing, that was one of my biggest problems with the 2014 Godzilla, is the Aaron Taylor Johnson character, the exact same thing. He literally went all over the entire globe, and in every situation, he was in the war room, he was talking to the generals, he was telling them what to do, and it was just ridiculous. And uh, I, I understand they're trying to give us characters, you know, they don't want a gigantic cast of characters, but... It was just, it's just ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. And they don't even embrace the ridiculousness of it so that we can have right. a fun time if with it. If they just yeah. changed the music to just be a little more, like, <laughs> humorous, I yeah. think it would have wor- landed better. None of these characters, though, that were on that ship should be in the next movie because they were way too close to that radiation to survive for much more than a few years. Oh, I've been, watch- I've been watching entire- a lot of Chernobyl. I was about to say, yeah, <laughs> you've got Chernobyl on the brain. The, the entire globe, this was an apocalypse we should say the yeah. in Kong in uh, Godzilla versus Kong. I mean, the earth should be just completely demolished. <laughs> I mean, there were dozens of monsters in 
all over the globe. So, I mean, I mean, tens, if not hundreds of millions of people are dead right now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I hope they, uh, I hope they follow that up. It's going to be a blast with all Mm. these millions of people. They do have a long history of tying all of these plot threads together. So I think that's going to happen, Daniel. <laughs> They're going to c- carefully consider the logic of what yes. should happen. They in should the next have film. done what Marvel did and did a single movie for each monster in their own yes. little towns. And then they all came together. And, and they all come together. Yes. It'd be like the Godzilla <laughs> endgame yes. of them all. That actually sounds much more interesting than this movie. <laughs> no, no, it does not. All right. Well, I think that wraps up our uh, Godzilla review. And so now... Y'all can move on and watch Rocket Man because I'm piecing out. I didn't see it. <laughs> yes. I could hear the whole tune in my head. It was all there. I could see all the notes and I just had to get it out. It's a little bit funny. This feeling inside. What did you say your name was again? My name is... Reggie! Reginald Dwight. Reginald. That's my granddad's name. Start as a fat boy from nowhere. Get to be a soul man. Gotta kill the person you were born to be in order to become the person you want to be. I'm thinking of changing my name to Elton. But that's my name. And that's from the trailer of Rocket Man, directed by Dexter Fletcher, the life story of Sir Elton John. You know, Daniel, it's going to be impossible to talk about Rocket Man without comparing it to Bohemian Rhapsody mm-hmm. for a lot of different reasons. Not a lot of people may know that the director of this film, Dexter Fletcher, was a producer on Bohemian Rhapsody. And when Brian Singer was removed from the project, he actually stepped in and finished the directing duties on that film, which is a very interesting tie-in with these two movies coming out within the same six-month window as they did, both about uh, iconic British rockers. In the 70s. In the 70s, right? And two distinct takes, you know, I would say. You know, there was a lot of controversy around Bohemian Rhapsody with its Oscar love, its massive box office success. I don't think Rocky Man is going to be anywhere near that. I think it opened around $25, $30 million. But I am curious, um, and we'll couch it this way, not just through the lens of comparison, but I do think it is interesting and worth talking about the fact that Dexter Fletcher directed this one. As you're going on talking about the reviews just in general, kind of maybe what this one does, uh, better or worse than Bohemian Rhapsody, and then just what your overall thoughts are about Rocket Man. Yeah, so we we actually, I don't think we ended up reviewing Bohemian Rhapsody. We certainly talked quite a bit about it, Um, and I I definitely fall into the camp that it did not deserve the Oscar love uh, that it it received. Rami Malek won, and I'm I'm still honestly baffled by that. I I don't understand that at all. I don't understand the huge box office, don't understand the nominations. I, I think it's a fine movie. I, I don't hate that movie by any means. It's okay. It's decent. There's enjoyable bits in it for sure. But overall, it's only okay. And so that's kind of where I come into Rocket Man. Um, I do wish we could separate the two. It's just they're so incredibly... They even share some share at least one major character in both films. Um, just yeah. because they, they all took place around the exact same time and uh, in the same kind of scenes. And so it's almost weird that they don't reference each other in terms of one film doesn't talk about Queen, the other doesn't talk about Elton. So with Rocket Man uh, as its own film, apart from, apart from Bohemian Rhapsody. 
to start, I, I knew almost nothing about Elton John's life at all. Only very, very, very broad strokes of his life. So, of course, I know a lot of his music, but I, I really don't have any very strong connections to it. This uh, Elton wasn't an artist that I listened to growing up or anything. So I know the hits, of course. And then the only strong connections I have to Elton John's music are, of course, the Lion King soundtrack. So there you go. So those are <laughs> that's how much I know of Elton John. Uh, so not a lot. And the first and most obvious thing about this movie is that Taron Edgerton is insanely talented. He is the real freaking deal. Um, Not only does he deliver on a performance that genuinely feels like Elton John in his physicality, and not only does he sing every song and sounds exactly like Elton John, his performance is also so vulnerable extremely authentic and pure and and he's so layered and puts on so much subtle emotion um, into this character and and so he is absolutely the best thing about this movie he takes this movie and runs with it it, it is a, a a character he was born to play it is perfect for him perfect casting and uh you know if he wasn't already a star from from the incredible kingsman movies now he is one he is a fantastic performer in this film and, and making it a musical is exactly the right choice because it adds something a little bit different. It allows us to hear a lot of the songs in a context outside of a, a concert or recording studio or, or the normal places that we, in, in Bohemian Rhapsody, that we heard all the songs. Sometimes the way the film gets to the songs doesn't exactly work, maybe like they hoped. It's some, sometimes there's clunky interest, entrances into the songs. But overall, being a musical was, was a really good and honestly exciting choice. Uh, it really sells, you know, they're selling, the tagline is uh, based on a true fantasy is kind of the tagline of the film. And I think that's a great way to put it. It does feel fantastical in exactly the right ways. Uh, now, I, I will definitely say that this film sticks to the very traditional music biopic story beats and definitely in some negative ways. We've seen this story so many times, even though it's a different person, a different artist, it feels very traditional, a lot of cliches, basically the same kind of cradle to, well, not cradle to grave, but you know what I mean, that same sort of story from young years all right. the way to, to um, well into adulthood. And uh, so we've seen a lot of that before. But like I said, making it a musical really, really helps quite a lot. Um, so I enjoyed Edgerton's performance so incredibly much that it really outweighs a lot of the cliches or things that we've seen before. And the tone of the movie is exciting and it's light enough that it makes it really enjoyable while still feeling real. You know, this is an R-rated musical biopic of a gay musician from the 70s, okay? So this is a, this is not expected. Like, like Chad said, it's not going to make the $900 million that Bohemian Rhapsody made. But it's authentic enough and fun enough that it's both emotional and, and a blast to watch. So I really like this movie quite a lot. All right. So strong recommend from Daniel. Okay. I think this is this movie is really interesting. <clears throat> and I, I'm going to say that I, I think this movie is really good. For me, it's slightly short of great. Mm-hmm. And... I think part of that is because it certainly embraces, and I don't think it's a spoiler to say this because um, you kind of see some of this in the trailer, which I saw after I saw the film, but it does embrace this sense of magical realism. Mm-hmm. 
combined with a musical, like a straight up Broadway musical. I mean, there are moments in here where the characters break the fourth wall and they're performing directly to the camera. Mm -hmm. And some scenes are intimate in that way. And some scenes are over overtly uh, flamboyant and big. And just like you would see on a show. I think if you're going to do the character, uh, character, quote unquote, of Elton John, then this is the way to do it. That said, because it adheres so very closely to the tropes that we've seen before. And let's be honest, they they talk about this. The characters do in the scene where it's like when the manager first signs him and they first get the the album deal going, he says, we just want you to go out and perform and don't kill yourself with drugs, right? So there is this element of this self-fulfilling prophecy that these rock stars kind of all went through. So it's not that it's an, a trope that isn't true because this, this is the journey that this character went through, but that doesn't mean that it, it is a fresh yeah. uh, take on it. And so as a result, for me, I felt like I was a little bit more bored is too strong a word, but less engaged than I typically would have been with a film that took so many risks creatively, which I'm always in favor of. I just could not fully embrace everything about it because the just the beat to beat moments were so predictable. That said, I agree with you wholeheartedly about Edgerton. His performance is phenomenal. I love the way that this movie opens where, and I don't think that we'll probably get into spoilers here yeah. either, Daniel, probably because it's a it's real life, life kind of yeah. thing. It's his life. So we'll go ahead and say, if you don't want to know anything about, what would you say? Is it the first 30, 35 years of Elton John's yeah, life? something like that something in that realm, then then you probably should see it and then come back because we'll, we'll talk openly about some things that happen at this point forward. But I love the way that the, the scene opened where he is going into rehab, not knowing, I mean, I'm, I'm an Elton John fan and have been for a while, but I don't know all the intricacies of his early life and, and his struggles. And so I don't know at which point in his life uh, this is where he's gone to rehab because in most stories like this, they go to rehab multiple times, right? So, uh, but I, I knew that Edgerton was going to be phenomenal at that opening scene where he walks in and yeah. he sits down and he's being over the top. And then the, there's a slow push into his face and you can see the tears behind his eyes as he's, as he begins to deal with the emotion. And so I think overall, I'm in agreement with you that this is a, a very good film. I think that I appreciate the fact that the director uh, took a lot of creative liberties. If I had a few negative things to say, I do, th and I'm still wrestling with how I feel about this personally, because I don't know that it actually impacted it or not, but I'm just still not 100% on board with the idea, or at least I don't think I am, of the person whom the story is being told, being an executive producer or producer oh, on the agree. film. Uh, just from the standpoint of, I think that lends itself to a very specific point of view. Like I, I'm on board with the idea of you tell your own story or somebody else tells the story about you. But I did think it was a little bit, and honestly, I don't know the story. So maybe what I'm saying or, or what was portrayed is a hundred percent accurate, but it did feel like to me that they never shied away from his drug abuse yeah. or from his spending or from his reckless lifestyle or any of that stuff. They, they leaned into that, which I thought was good, but 
everything related to the formation of who he was as a person was tied back into how his home life started and the way his parents were. And I don't think they gave a very nuanced approach Mm. to his parents. To me, every time that they were in the scene, they were clearly bad now they they had little flourishes of love for him which we could clear which we could see and like i said maybe that's just how it was but i think that's an example of a place where that is probably elton john's point of view and his perspective on 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 his relationship with his parents i know he was i've done a little bit of reading i know he was estranged from his mom up until maybe the last year before she passed away in 2016 and so it just feels to me creatively that having that voice in the room is maybe not a great idea i don't know i 100 percent agree and i think that's a huge problem that i have with bohemian rhapsody because the surviving members of Queen were, were heavily involved in the process, heavily involved in appro- approving the script. And you can see that in, in again, I don't want to keep going back to Bohemian Rhapsody, but it is applicable. And, uh, you know, there are scenes in Bohemian Rhapsody where Freddie Mercury, who happens to be the only deceased member of the band, right? He's throwing this lavish party with drugs and debauchery everywhere. And the surviving members of the band at the are in the story. They're with their wives, and when Freddie offers them drugs, they say, "No, I'm gonna go home." And that just seems awfully convenient to me that the only surviving members right. who are heavily involved in this film portray themselves as good family men who turn down drugs and leave parties early. And uh, maybe that's the truth. You know, I hope that that's the truth. But it just felt so inauthentic. Now with Rocket Man, I even though I agree with you, it does feel a little iffy to have this the subject of the biopic so you know tied to the film. But it really did feel as if they didn't shy away from things um, in terms of they didn't try to portray him as better than he was they showed they appeared at least to show a lot of his struggles you know it opens with him in rehab you know and so they show a lot of those things and and showed how how he screwed things up too for himself screwed up chances at love screwed up you know he he married uh you know i guess it's spoiler for later on in his life he married that woman renata and it and that whole scene really felt to me like the blame was on Elton. He was trying to have the quote-unquote normal life. He was trying to actually have, trying to trying to be straight, really, is what he was trying to do, see if that worked for him. And yeah. um, the blame was I, on him for screwing that up, I, and, and I, I felt agree. that in that scene. Yeah, I agree. The problem, the problem I had with that scene, though, is for such a significant thing, moment in his life that whole thing maybe lasted three minutes i agree i do right? agree. the whole Very short. I, f- I felt like that that story beat for lack of a better word was an opportunity for them to really get more into the care and this is again and i'm totally speculating here sure. but I just how it hit me but again it felt like that was one of those areas that was an opportunity for us to really get behind the curtain of elton i think it's a trope in all of these films all of these especially when you're dealing with musicians and and rock stars quote unquote of course, none of them really ever shy away from the fact that they show the wild parties and I was addicted to every drug you can imagine. And I had an endless cavalcade of of people wanting to party and, and be with me. And so that for me, that that just is what it is. But that opportunity, I thought, was missed because it would have given us a chance to get behind the curtain of who he was as a person yeah. and why he would even explore. I mean, we know on the surface level why he would from a marketing standpoint in the 70s. 
coming out was not an option. And so I understand all that. But just as a person, when you marry this this lady, and he clearly had some affection yeah. for her, and, and it would have been nice to just unpack that again and to carry uh, unpack that a little more. And that's also carrying over to what I was saying about his parents is that we would have we would have been invested with it a little more if we felt just a little bit that the parents weren't just either after money or just not loving or just taking advantage of him, but just had some moments of humanity. I do agree. Um, and that's that's disappointing because those kinds of questions are, are going to obviously be difficult when he's in the room, mm. you know, as, as a producer telling the story. But again, I don't want to be too negative. I think overall it really is. There's a lot of interesting visual things here. The music is great. If you're a fan of, of Elton John's music, it's loaded with great yeah. music. The the closest for me, Daniel, let's, and let's talk about, you know, before we wrap up here, let's talk about some of our favorite moments of the, of the movie. So good. The scene where they're writing, uh, he's writing your song, the music to your song. He's got the the lyrics and he's in his house and his mom or his, his grandmother are sitting in the, in the kitchen. And it, you start to see his creative process of how he worked through and wrote these wrote these um, melodies and songs is really very powerful. I loved loved that moment that because that was a little bit more real. Yeah, it was. Um, and it didn't just jump into because there's a little bit, just a little bit, right? There's just a little bit of kind of the Midas touch going on here where it's just as easy as this guy writes the lyrics and then I sit down and write it. And there's the there's the music we all know. Right. And so uh, for me, I thought that scene was was really very great. Yeah, I totally agree. Exactly like you said, that was one of the more real and authentic moments. And I do feel like I, I do wish we had a few more of those of showing that kind of peeled the curtain back a little bit. It was less glossy, less shiny. It was I'm just going to sit down. And I what, what I think is remarkable about Elton, again, from this film, not knowing much actually about his life. It is how is their relationship, the relationship between Elton and Bernie. And we should say that Jamie Bell, I think he did a really good job uh, as Bernie Toppin. Um, I agree. And I think Richard Madden did really good as kind of the nefarious John Reed. And But the relationship between Elton and Bernie was just fascinating because I, obviously I knew they were they, they were songwriters together for, for all these decades. But I guess I didn't know much about their relationship. And, and it is amazing how how these beautiful lyrics uh, come from this one guy. And then, and then Elton just comes in and just the music kind of flows out of him. Like he says in there at some point, you know, he just sat down and he could see the whole song. Um, and that's, that's pretty awesome. I think the film uh, in some of its more musical moments, I would say one of my favorite one was uh, Saturday night's all right for fighting. Kind of the first one where yeah. Taryn comes out as the more grown up uh, Elton uh, make the transfer from the kid to, to him and and i thought that was just a lot of fun because that was one of the yeah. ones that felt more it was just it was just pure fun it was just this is elton he's a blast he's running around causing trouble doing whatever he's doing um, and it was a lot of fun. You know, it's an interesting fact, too. And you mentioned Richard Madden as John Reed, uh, the manager and Elton's first um, true love, I guess, is, is how you would, you would yeah. say it here. First boyfriend is in real life. He also was Queen's manager for three years. <laughs> yep. And so it's this crazy crossover, and a lot of what I have seen says indicates that part of the reason that John Reed left Queen um, to come back to Elton specifically was because Elton was getting a little jealous. And it's, it's just things like that yeah. that I thought are interesting. I'm sure for licensing reasons, that's why we didn't get some of that story. Yeah. But I thought Richard Madden was 
was actually really very good. Yeah. I mean, it's it's easy to just kind of write him off as the villain, but the thing is, is in a lot of the cases, what they were arguing about, he was right. right like he yeah. made a lot of sense, and so I do think that I do think that they did a good job, specifically with his character. In not painting him as purely evil, yeah. but just giving him a point a few times and, and openly showing that, you know, Elton was wild and he made some decisions based on whatever was happening at that moment in his life and not necessarily what was the best, you know, at the time. Totally. So one, one other thing I want to touch on. What did you think of uh, I know you, you've already talked about the characters uh, of his mom and dad. What did you think of Bryce Dallas Howard's performance? Honestly, it was my least favorite I of, the, of, of the film. I, it felt very detached and mm-hmm. cold, and maybe that's part of it, but in a way that I don't think indicated a coldness necessarily to her son, but more just like a bad performance. She was and just I like typically blase like her about everything. Yeah. It was just kind of yeah. weird. And I, I, the whole time I was watching, I was just so thinking. Is she the only person that they could cast in this role? I mean, there's uh, there's yeah. uh, thousands of talented British women who could have played this role. I felt like her accent was kind of off. It just didn't feel yeah. right at all. Her it accent didn't random. bother. Yeah, her accent didn't bother me as much. But and I don't know if if she being attached maybe helped get the movie made. But I don't. I, I she just felt. I think apathetic is yeah. is what I'd say. It just felt in a way that it was. She was above being there, which didn't make it was my least favorite. Yeah, and there were there were moments where she could have really you kind of uh, talked about it like the character itself could have been more dynamic, and I think it's a problem with the writing more than her performance, exactly like you were talking about earlier. But like there were moments where when John Reed forces Elton to come out to his mother, and he does that over the phone, and that's a very good scene overall. But it's it's moments where when when he tells her and she says something like, "Well, I know that I've known for years." Mm-hmm. The way in which she said it, like what she's saying is loving and accepting. And the way she said it could have had more elements of that, more elements of the love and kind of balanced out that instead of just being a purely apathetic character, she could have shown, well, no, she's not all bad. She's got these moments. And then she says something stupid. And, but it was just the the way she delivered all those lines. It just still felt like she didn't care at all about him. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's and that's and that's my point, too, is that I again just guessing. But I feel like when you have Elton in the in the production side of it, that that is probably his viewpoint on those memories at that time in his life. And so we're we're unable. Sure, of course. Right or wrong. uh, It's just we're unable to get the nuance of, of of what would have happened in that moment. Because it's just, I guess, essentially based on his recollection of it. So, anyway, uh, I do think I think you're right, though. That's the she stands out as the one performance that is just not good. I thought across the board these performances were fairly outstanding. I can't rave enough about Taron Edgerton. I mean, honestly, Agreed. he is he is heads and shoulders above everybody else. He I, he deserves absolutely hey, listen, deserves award contention for sure. It's better. It's better than your Oscar winner last year. Oh my gosh, Rami so Malik, much. For not sure. even close. I mean, not, not even, even close. close. And who knows if he'll even get a get a, a, a nomination? Um, yeah, I really will. wish they hadn't released in May. I mean, they had the can release, and that's great. But um, I think if this came out in the fall, I think he'd be a shoe in for nomination. I do think yeah. he's gonna be. It, it very strongly in the conversation this year. I think he'll get a lot of nominations, but I, I don't think he's necessarily a shoe in for for a nomination just because of when it was released. But I, I really hope he makes it in. 
Yeah. So, Daniel, let's do our recommendation before we go. So should people see this in the theater? Should they rent it? Should they stream it on an existing service or skip it? Oh, man, I, I think absolutely the theater. And and just like me, you don't have to be a, an Elton super fan to enjoy this film. I really enjoyed this film, and I don't have a lot of connection to him. So absolutely, I would say the theater. And, the, and I saw this in Dolby Cinema, and... It was so great. I mean, the it, and it's not you know it's not a gigantically visually spectacular film. It it looks great and it's a lot of fun, but the music was was pitch perfect. It sounded so good. Um, so yeah, absolutely, it's theater worthy. It's it's fantastic. I 100% agree. It is theater worthy, and you should see it in the theater if you can. I don't know how much longer it's going to be there. It's not doing great at the domestic box office, but. If you are a fan of Elton John or if you just like to see films that are creative in the way stories are told, then I think that uh, I think that you'll like this. You're listening to the Screeners Podcast. Well, guys, that wraps up our double feature. Thanks for joining us for our reviews of Godzilla 2 and Rocket Man. Uh, as always, make sure you follow us on social media. We want to be in the conversation with you. We want to hear what you thought of these films and let us know where we got it wrong. We want to talk with you guys. Join us next time as we review the new X-Men film, Dark Phoenix. We'll see you then. And that's a wrap. You've heard what the screeners had to say. Now you be the critic. Head over to screenerspodcast.com and let us know what you think. See you next time.